Dr. Sanjay Prasad is on a mission to improve surgical outcomes. After many years as a surgeon, he founded a company that helps patients find the best surgeon for their condition and to avoid surgeries that they don't need. He's also laser focused on reducing racial disparities in surgical care. And he's written a handbook for patients, Resetting Healthcare Post-COVID-19 Pandemic. In this episode of the Health Biz Podcast, Dr. Prasad describes his immigrant roots, what made him decide to become a doctor, and how he developed insights about what's wrong with surgery and how to fix it. I'm David Williams, host of the Health Biz Podcast and president of Health Business Group, a strategy consulting firm that helps healthcare and life sciences companies develop robust growth plans. Reach out to me at dwilliams at healthbusinessgroup.com if you'd like to discuss strategy for your company. And finally, do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. Well, Dr. Sanjay Prasad, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. How are you today? Oh, thank you, David. Thanks for having me aboard. I'm happy to talk to you and I'm very excited about this podcast. Thank you. Oh, that, that sounds good. Well, we're going to talk about surgery, but before we get into that uh that topic. I'm just going to ask about your background a little bit. And uh, tell me about your, your background. What was your childhood like? How was your upbringing? Any, any particular childhood influences that uh, affected you overall or got you to decide to go into medicine? Yeah, David, I was born in India um, and I was a year old when I came to this country, uh, to the Washington, D.C. area in 1962. You'll know how old I am now. Uh-oh. Uh, but you know, we, we, we came on a month-long journey uh, through the Suez Canal by ship because that was the mode of transport back then. Um, and really, my mom was telling me this just a couple weeks ago. We came here uh, looking for a solution to a healthcare problem in the family. We were looking for an orthopedic surgeon. And it's so, so um, astonishing. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's fate. I don't know what it is. But, you know, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. I became a surgeon. Um, yeah, I decided I wanted to go to surgery in seventh grade when I go, went to visit my uh, ear, nose and throat doctor and he took care of my ear infection. And he was a real role model for me. Um, and sure enough, I became a surgeon and uh, started doing ENT as well as neurosurgery and that combination neurotology. Did that for about 30 years, helped uh, tens of thousands of patients. And uh, now I want to help patients get to the best in class surgeon for their condition. Uh, and avoid unnecessary surgery. So that's what the whole idea is. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. You know, it's good if you can get a, a role model early on that is, uh, you know, an excellent uh, role model surgeon as opposed to like, say, a drug dealer or somebody like that. So I'm glad that uh, your mom <laughs> took you to the right place. So that's a good uh, yeah. good, 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 yeah. good, career to, to go into. Now, in terms of, um, you know, surgery, and as you're saying, you know, dealing with tens of thousands of patients along the way, you know, any observations that you made um, as part of that, that were, you know, not just related to your individual patient, but what you'd seen in terms of the patient journey and, uh, you know, different issues with that. Well, I mean, the first thing was cost. And, uh, so what I did in 2007, I started a surgery center, started bundling, uh, some of the costs involved with, um, you know, outpatient surgeries. Um, and that means we were putting together the surgeon fee, anesthesia fee, facility fee, low cost. 2007, 2008, the big bubble, uh, you know, a lot of people had no insurance. A lot, uh, some had uh, high deductible health plans. They still couldn't get their surgery because they had to come out of pocket. So it, it was very attractive. It really attracted a lot of uh, patients to that, to that uh, formula. It was a great solution. 
but the piece that was missing uh, was really the quality and uh, the surgeon outcomes. You know, doctor, how many have you done? What's your success rate? What's your complication rate? And how are we going to connect patients to best-in-class surgeons? That's the piece that was missing. And that's why we started the company, Surgy Quality, um, in 2014. Uh, and it's a solution for this. You know, one of the things that was uh, notable, I remember, you know, those of us in, in healthcare know that you want to see things like what's the volume of surgeries that somebody does, you know, who do you, who do you go to? But even, uh, you think some, you know, well-known yeah, people that, that should have had, uh, you know, access to the best, I, I'm thinking about the former President Clinton, I think it was analyzed that, you know, where he went for surgery wasn't necessarily the place that uh, an informed consumer uh, would go. And it's just nothing to pick on him particularly, except to say <clears throat> it wasn't easy um, you know, even now, but it wasn't easy to figure out what you should do if you need surgery, who you should go to, uh, and so on. What, what is the typical process, uh, where somebody gets into surgery, leaving aside your, your company for a minute, which we'll talk more about, uh, shortly, but you know, what's the normal process? Like what, what happens in terms of somebody realizes they have an issue, you know, how do they get from that realization, you know, to going under the knife, so to speak? So, you know, you develop a tummy ache or a lump on your thyroid or, you know, uh, or, or your shoulders aching all of a sudden or a swollen joint or a headache or whatever it might be. You can't quite see right. First thing you go see your primary care doctor, uh, which is all nice and fine. They, they may do some tests, but they ultimately end up usually referring you to a surgeon, uh, a specialist. And this is where the heart of the problem is, because primary care physicians, they, they want to do what's best for you. No question. Uh, I'm not denying that. But uh, oftentimes they just have a list of surgeons in every specialty that they normally refer to. Uh, maybe these are golfing buddies. Maybe uh, you know, their kids went to the same school. Uh, maybe they're in a medical office building and the gastroenterologist is upstairs. It's so easy to send the patient right up. Um, but you know what's happening is these referrals, David, are happening not on the basis of cost, you know, is the, is the surgeon in network, is their endoscopy suite or their hospital in network, is the, is the anesthesiologist in network, and also not made on the basis of outcomes. That is how many the doctor's done, what his success rate is, what his complication rate is, is he up to speed with the latest technologies? Uh, these are all very important. Uh, so uh, what's happening as a result is that patients are getting surgery that they don't need. And depending on specialty, 15 to 30% of surgeries that are being performed today are unnecessary. Uh, and patients are suffering from complications from these unnecessary surgeries. Patients are getting connected to uh, surgeons that don't necessarily have the best outcomes, needing revision surgery for wrong implant size or infection or scar tissue. It's a vicious cycle. So, you know, the, the system is begging for a solution. No question. Now, you had written a book, uh, Resetting Healthcare. And I'm wondering, you know, what's the main concept behind that? I'm, I'm assuming some of these same philosophies we're talking about. But what was the concept there? And, and what kind of reception has the book received? Yeah, I mean, the book is called Resetting Healthcare Post-COVID-19 Pandemic. Uh, it's written for the patient. So it's called The Patient Handbook. And I wrote this when COVID happened, surgeries were on pause in 2020. Uh, and, you know, the COVID pandemic did so many different things to healthcare, as we all know. It, it paused uh, surgery scheduling in 2020 uh, and in 21 and beyond. Patients are still 
somewhat apprehensive to go into a hospital, uh, fearful of getting that Delta virus, Delta variant, if you will. Uh, you, you know, there's still some fear there, but it, it's a great time to reset healthcare as we know it today from that. Uh, and what we're talking about is reforming, optimizing that referral process, uh, which is so critical. You know, you mentioned certainly the big shock of um, surgeries, uh, just the big shock of the pandemic and what, what happened to surgeries and other things once the, once the pandemic began. You mentioned, you know, 15 to 30% of the surgeries are unnecessary. Well, for sure, all those stopped, but then you had all the necessary ones as well. When you go, uh, when we look, you know, sort of broadly at what happens once the pandemic recedes or ends, whatever it may do, do you think that um, there's a likelihood that things will just sort of go back to where they, they were? I mean, I know the idea is sort of like to reset it, maybe, you know, start it at a new point, but are the forces sort of driving things back to, to normal and, or, you know, I won't say normal, but how they were before, or do you see real hope for this kind of reset? Well, I don't think healthcare is ever going to be the same, ever, because we had an explosion of telehealth, telemedicine, uh, which, you know, was really sorely needed, but just it wasn't happening prior to the pandemic. Uh, I mean, and telemedicine was so critical for patients, you know, to survive talking to their healthcare provider during the pandemic. And that has persisted to the point where every practitioner now has an ability to have a virtual visit with their patient. This has been a great, great advent. And I think uh, this is going to continue and be fostered, no question. Um, and, you know, with wearables and adding more uh, data and getting the data to the surgeons and, and, and their practitioners, uh, you know, look, digital medicine is taking off in a very, very big way. Um, as a result of the pandemic and the changes that have happened. So uh, the changes will continue. There's no question. The system yeah. will continue to evolve. You know, one of the things that's happened is there clearly the uh, televisits, telehealth went up to, you know, 80 or 90% of visits at one point. Now it's it's kind of reset at a much higher level than it was before the pandemic, but down to like mm -hmm. 20% of visits from, you know, it had been 2% before the pandemic, now 20%. Um, and I guess one question is when you, when you give people the definition of, what a telehealth visit is in, in general, unless they're looking, you know, way into the future, they're usually say, well, that's, you know, surgery would be the last thing that you could do with that. Now, not obviously not every visit with a surgeon, the surgeon's office is, needs to be in person, but how, how does telehealth fit into a surgery practice? Well, telehealth does fit in when you're talking about post-operative care for no question. Uh, the initial diagnosis, listen, uh, you know, you can look at medical records, you can look at imaging, uh, and you can uh, make determinations, validate necessity. Um, uh, you know, there are all sorts of uh, avenues to, to construct. And, you know, our, our platform is really um, three things. It's one that's concierge platform that handholds the patient. And when you're told you need surgery, we uh, can get a HIPAA release from you, have a, you sign a form. Uh, we source your medical records and your imaging. We send it up to the cloud. And then we send it to multiple surgeons, all within your Blue Cross network. Uh, and we uh, ask the surgeons to validate necessity, put in their past outcomes. Uh, we corroborate their past outcomes. Uh, and then you get to pick your surgeon has already seen your records. Um, and you're able to compare them according to success measures and complication measures. It just makes a ton of sense. It puts the patients back, David, in the driver's seat, you know, yeah. as opposed to entering the healthcare system and then kind of being, uh, you know, uh, kind of nudged in one direction or another. 
uh, all of a sudden you take control. You take control of your body. You take better care of your condition that you have, uh, you know, and you have uh, total control with which surgeon to, to see, what type of approach to have, what the outcomes are going to be. It lessens your anxiety. And, and, you know, if you have panic disorders, it settles those down. Uh, there's just so much that's positive with this. Yeah. Now, uh, Sanjay, what happens uh, in thinking about like different situations for, for patient? Now, clearly there's the, the so-called, you know, elective procedures where you have enough time to do the planning. And I can see how that could work, you know, very well. How much of the surgery sort of fits into that category versus something that's happening really fast and you don't, the patient doesn't have the time to even understand this is available to them or they, they just feel they just have to get things done right away or they're just under so much pressure or pain that they need to do something. And I'm sure there's some, you know, on both ends of the spectrum and some in the middle, but how do you think about those? I mean, look, there, there's some surgeries that are just urgent, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got bleeding or you've, you've got a perforated bowel or, or you know, a, a, a joint that just needs attention because you've got a broke, a fracture that's just got to get done. Those are, those are not applicable to this platform. But 92% of all surgeries are non-urgent. And when I was researching my book, um, that's what I realized. So 92% of surgeries can wait for an evaluation, uh, a medical record distribution platform at the speed of electrons with uh, data coming back to you within 24, 48 hours, you can certainly wait in, in most cases. Now, I understand how you get people to the, you know, to, to the right uh, surgeon um, and with the right quality and, and so on. Uh, how do you deal with this issue about unnecessary surgeries? Uh, are there, is there ways that people say, Gee, you think you need surgery, but maybe there's another approach? Is that part of your platform? Or is that something separate? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. It is part of our platform. So now uh, using the surgery quality platform, uh, you as a patient uh, can get peer reviewed. In other words, the case gets peer reviewed by a number of surgeons who validate that, yes, indeed, you do need surgery. And there will come, a, a come uh, there will be a few surgeons that will look at your case and say, hey, you know what, maybe physical therapy is a little bit better uh, initially. It may solve the, the problem. Uh, so now you start to have options other than surgery. Uh, it just makes so much sense. Now, help me understand, you know, where this is targeted in the market. You mentioned, I think the Blue Cross Network is where uh, people can, uh, can, be, can be referred. But who, who is the, the buyer uh, of your services and, and who uses the platform? So we're going to self-insured employers. We're going to large companies, uh, Fortune 500 companies, uh, captured audience, lots of lives, wanting to do better for their employees. Uh, and, you know, we also solve a, a problem that people don't talk about much and is racial disparities in surgical outcomes. And uh, I can tell you about a year ago, I was researching this topic. I, I wrote a paper on unnecessary hysterectomy. And uh, I was astonished to learn, David, that uh, hysterectomy is uh, performed in black women at four times the rate of white women. And I, uh, you know, you, you can blame some of that to extent of disease uh, or comorbidities, um, you know, or socioeconomic status. But fourfold increase is pretty astonishing. So I, I dug deeper and uh, I found an article in 2013 uh, that uh, from the group uh, from Brigham and Women's, uh, the, the Adel Hader and his team, 
they did a meta-analysis, 88 articles, looked at racial disparities with black and white patients, and they found the surgical outcomes were much poorer for black patients uh, across an, an array of surgeries. And the underlying theme is this, black patients simply don't get referred to uh, high quality, high volume surgeons. Uh, so that's where we are really definitely a solution for that. It's very interesting to be able to go at the, the root cause in that, uh, in that way. Do you think that the, so do you think that's also partly just how common the surgeries are is also because they're referred to people that are not discerning in terms of uh, saying this surgery is actually not necessary, or is it also the, uh, so I'm trying to understand the difference between kind of how common the surgery is versus also the outcome side of it, which is what you emphasized as well. Well, the, the one aspect is reducing unnecessary surgeries, but the major aspect in terms of racial disparities is that they just can't get connected to the high outcome, a high volume, high quality surgeon uh, so that's that's really been uh, that's the solution that we have. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that uh, when you look at ovarian surgery, uh, ovarian cancer surgery, uh, liver transplants, uh, kidney transplants, um, it's astonishing that black patients just don't do as well. Even when you control for socioeconomic class, the extent of disease, comorbidities, um, you know, something's got to be done to elevate the health of black America. Do they do better? Uh, do they do similarly when they are actually referred? In those cases, they are actually referred to the high quality surgeons. Does that uh, well, address it or what, what's, what remains after that's, that? David, that's certainly our hypothesis that they will do better. Uh, you know, we haven't played that out yet, but we expect that they will. Uh, you know, and, and I think the healthcare system, David, traps patients sometimes. And the example I usually give is a Spanish speaking patient wants to see a Spanish speaking primary care wants to see a Spanish-speaking surgeon, but that surgeon may not necessarily be the best surgeon for them in their network. And patients, you know, have this Blue Cross card or Cigna card or United Healthcare or Aetna. They have a huge network of surgeons to pick from, but they, they're really working with a micro network, if you will, a geographically micro, a small network uh, within that larger network that they pay for. So we're trying to, uh, it just makes a ton of sense, right? To go to the best surgeon yeah. who's done more shoulders than anybody else, who has the best results and, and, and get the best outcomes. You know, some larger, more sophisticated companies, I'm thinking like a company like Walmart, for example, you know, has programs where they send people uh, to well-known places like Mayo Clinic. Um, mm -hmm. And is this a kind of a, how, how does a program like that fit in with what you're doing here? How would you compare and contrast it? So large employers are sending their employees. They'll, they'll send, and I don't know if uh, I'm just making these up, but I think uh, they're sending knee replacements in certain uh, academic institution, hip replacements, certain place, heart um, cases to uh, another institution for a fixed bundled cost, which is all nice and fine. Um, but, you know, we are looking at procedure-specific metrics. We're looking at metrics that matter to patients when they need surgery. For example, when you're having gallbladder surgery, we're looking at bile duct injury rates. That is how many times a surgeon may have inadvertently um, transected uh, an aberrant uh, bile duct, for example. Um, we're looking at measures that are very specific to their procedure, much more meaningful. You know, instead of trying to drive patients to um, you know, bundled pricing solutions and academic institutions, you know, let's make the patients more educated, 
learn more about their condition. So they, uh, you know, they own their own condition and they can make well-informed choices. It just makes a ton of sense to me. Now, how, how well has the business been, uh, been going? It sounds very persuasive when you uh, discuss it, but how does it fit into like, all the other things that an employer would, would look at? Um, you know, how are you doing distribution? How, how are things working out? So uh, for employers, they don't really have to change anything. Uh, they can use their current health plan because most other solutions, you have to change your plan. Right. Um, it's very painful. The employees are not happy. But here, it's just a bolt-on. So yeah. you already have um, a Blue Cross plan, for example. Uh, but we're just an add-on, a feature where you know we're helping your employees get to the best surgeon. So um, it's really a, a pretty, you know, it's pretty seamless. Yeah. So, so you had you know, this described before. You're sort of a micro network. It's sort of helping people to use the whole network that they have, and you're making the it uh, easier to yes. uh, easier to do that. Good. Exactly. Well, it sounds interesting and useful, and I hope I never have a need for your uh, for your services. But I know that uh, <laughs> tip, typically speaking, people do end up with a surgery at one point uh, or or another. Somebody will. So it sounds like a good approach. Let me just end by asking you about any books. Uh, we talked about books that you're writing. Uh, any books that you're reading? That you recommend? Well, um, you know, I'm reading. Uh, I'm a I'm a big tennis nut. And yeah. Anybody anybody who knows me in my area, I'm just crazy about tennis. I'm a big Roger Federer fan, and uh, and, and I'm reading his new book on the the Master. Um, it, it, it's really enlightening. Uh, you know, he may he has a lot of talent, but people sometimes uh, forget the hard work and the yeah. uh, persistence and the discipline. Uh, that it requires a lot of people saying, no, you can't do it, you know, yeah. and then doing it and it's just uh, overjoyous. And, you know, he talks about that in his book um, and, you know, it translates, right? It's not just tennis, not just a sport. It translates into so many things in life. And uh, it's all about being passionate about something in your life, leaving, wanting to leave something behind uh, before it's all said and done, uh, leaving a better healthcare system for the next generation you know, that's where I'm all about. That sounds good. Well, Dr. Sanjay Prasad, thanks very much for being on the Health Biz podcast today and telling it like it is and like it should be in surgery. Yeah, th th thank you so much, David. You've been listening to the Health Biz podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.